You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. You guys can grab a seat. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the worship. Uh, Lord, we come to you now and pray that you would uh, inspire, motivate, encourage, and strengthen us together as we uh, learn more about relationships. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Hey, speaking of relationships, I just want to see again, how many of you guys are single? Would you raise your hand, guys and gals, single? Okay, you can check each other out after church, you can look around. How many of you guys are married? Right here. Okay, great. 15 years I've been married, um, celebrated, we're, we're celebrating that. Yeah, some of you can celebrate that. We get, hallelujah, 15 years. Um, yeah, so we're, Leslie and I are going to be celebrating that. I, I, we got married in college. I was in a senior year in college. So, you know, as a college student, you're just going to get married on your break. So we were, I was a senior in, in college and got married during the Christmas break. And that's really cool. You know, you get a month off. And what's really cool about it is getting uh, that month off in college. I was, I was um, born in Dallas, grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was perfect primetime hunting season. So I, I come from a, the family that's like Duck Dynasty, literally. Like the Duck Dynasty family is kind of like how my family is. And uh, all my brothers hunt. I'm like the black sheep of the family, but in a Jesus way. And, um, and so I didn't hunt as much as they did, but I did have an incredible dog uh, named Max who I trained to hunt. How many of you guys love dogs? Raise your hand. How many of you love cats? Praying for you. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I have a friend who really believes that uh, dogs go to heaven and cats don't. And I'm like, how, how can you get there? That's funny. Uh, but anyway, so I had this dog named Max, and this gets to the message, I promise. Um, I had this dog named Max. I trained him how to hunt. He was my buddy, my companion. I knew him far before I knew Leslie, okay? Uh, he was a great hunting companion, and my dog, Max, was awesome. Everywhere I went, Max was with me. A black Labrador retriever, big blockhead, had an incredible pedigree. And he and I hunted everywhere. We would hunt big rice fields together, flooded fields. We would hunt uh, uh, flooded timber. Um, and we would work together. And I always had such a great time with Max. Um, and during the college, my last year in college, uh, my wife and I were starting to, we were engaged, my, we were engaged at that time. And I was exhausted because I tried to hunt as much as I could. I would go to school. I was planning for a wedding. Or really, she was planning for the wedding. And, um, and so we were going to have a meal together one day. And she said, hey, can we have dinner tonight? And I said, sure, love to. Um, but I just got back from class, and I was hunting earlier this morning. And in fact, I've been hunting for the last two weeks early in the morning. And so I was exhausted. And kind of the routine was uh, for hunting and then going to school was I would always set my classes uh, 10 a.m. at the earliest. And so I would go hunt in the morning. And kind of what happened was I got into this routine with my, my dog is that we would go everywhere together. And at night, in order to bond together so I could expect the best out of him the next morning, during hunting season, I'd let him sleep in the bed. And I'd let him sleep at the foot of the bed. Unfortunately, during that season, that year, it was an incredibly mild winter. And so we were out in the field all day in the mornings and out in the uh, flooded timbers. And so the fleas and the ticks and the little critters 
were out extra. And so I would take off my jacket when I would get home um, from school, throw it on my bed, and that's where Max had been laying all day and all morning. And so you can imagine kind of what happened. So uh, Max would also, I'd find him, he'd be guilty as charged. He would be caught in the act. He'd be sleeping on my jacket. So I would pull the jacket off and take it out and all that. So it was hunting season, and it kind of developed. Leslie invites me out to dinner, and we're going there. And on the way over to dinner, I feel like something's crawling in my jacket. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, oh, I just must be itchy because I was out hunting all, the, all morning, and I've been hunting so long. And um, as I walk into the restaurant, I feel something like come from the back of my jacket up the back of my head. And I'm like, what is that? And so then I sit down and I'm sitting there and we're trying to develop the relationship. I mean, we got a wedding planned and you have to know before I tell you the rest of the story is I'm like a germaphobic kind of person. Like I put on the hand gel all the time, even on Sunday morning, like three or four times, wash my hands, maybe 20 times a day. But this dog and I were close, and I let him, the dog had fleas. So I'm sitting there, and I'm walking into the restaurant, and I'm about to sit down, and I'm like, Lord, I think I have a flea on my head, and I don't want this flea to come out while I'm eating dinner with my fiance. And so I sit down, and she's sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I can feel this thing. It's moving around my head. And I'm like, don't come out on my head. Don't come out on my head. She's looking at me and she's like, are you here? Are you listening to me? And all of a sudden, whoosh, he comes right in the middle of my head. And my fiance looks at me and she says, oh my gosh, you have a flea right on your head. And I was like, oh. And all of a sudden she leans forward and it goes, bing. And it lands on her head. And I'm like, oh no, ruined the date. Uh, didn't that go well? Um, here's, what is the point of that, telling you that story? Um, I guess the, the point of it is this, is that, you know, in relationships, how many of you guys can remember when you went out on some of your first dates uh, with your uh, spouse or your significant other? Um, uh, you've been married 15 years or more. You try to remember, you know, what they were like. Um, Leslie has been God's greatest gift for me. And uh, yeah, she came into the house and you need to paint it, you need to clean it up, you need to put the dog on a you know, flea collar, like uh, dog can't sleep on the bed anymore, you know, and life changed as soon as we married, for the good, really. Um, this morning, what you're going to see is Boaz is uh, a business leader in the community in Bethlehem. God is using him to develop the relationship with Ruth, uh, a Moabite, totally different than an Israelite, um, who's in a, in a really a crisis, a food famine, a great need. She's a single young lady, and she's been living with her single mom. And they're in great need. She had gone out last week. You know, like when you watch uh, TV episodes, they say, previously on whatever. You, you get a snapshot of what the show is, is going to be like or what happened. Last week, we talked about the young, young girl, Ruth. She says, let me go out in the field and work. And she, gets, she goes out in the field, and it just so happens she ends up at the right place at the right time meeting the right person. And this morning, what we see is we pick up in verse 14. We're going to see that Boaz, uh, the owner of this field, uh, is going to invite her after a hard morning of work to lunch to a mealtime, to develop the relationship. 
Here's what we see in verse 14. And at, the t- at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, the, the employees, the guys that were working out in the field. And then he passed to her some roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. A couple things, observations on what just happened in that early scene that we see is that Boaz, he invites the outsider inside. Uh, She's an outsider. She's a Moabite. He's an Israelite. She's poor. He's rich. Um, Her family uh, heritage and faith practice believed in a lot of gods. Uh, His faith and his family believed in the one true God. Um, She's now a believer, but they're very, very different. He owned the field. She worked in the field. So what we're going to see here is he invites the outsider in. He cares for her. Uh, Men, Boaz is a great example. If you're married, for you to seek to emulate the leadership and lifestyle of Boaz. If you're single, great paradigm, great model for you to seek to emulate and practice the example of Boaz. Invites the outsider inside. He shares with what he has with her. He literally gives her food himself. It's like, they're just enjoying a good time together. How many of you guys, uh, you know, like I see this real quick and I'm like, oh, sweet, it's a little Old Testament first date. This is cute. Uh, Think about it. Uh, How many of you guys go to Macaroni Grill, Olive Garden, you get all the bread and you like, before you know it, you're like, oh, I'm really not hungry. I'm good. We'll check, please. You get water and bread and the waiter's like, come on, man, spend. Uh, They're enjoying this little meal together. He shares what he has with her. He gives her more than she needs. Boaz goes further, though, and he instructs. Look at verses 15 through 16. When she rose to glean, this is after the meal, she's going to go out in the field and work. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Gleaning is mentioned three different times in that little passage. Uh, Gleaning was a practice in the the Old Testament that God commanded his people, um, business owners that owned a field, uh, their their crops, their produce, to give back to the poor and to the needy. Look what it says in Leviticus 23, 22. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. God kind of um, set a principle and a pattern for business owners to create provisions for the poor and the needy. To give them a hand up in life, not simply a hand out in life. That they need to come behind those that are harvesting in the field and then be able to pick up. And Ruth just happens to be at the right place, at the right time, and meeting the right person. Um, they're incredibly different, though. There's, uh, Ruth would be in need, and what Boaz is doing is he's instructing her and the employees that she's got a safe place. What we're going to see is that Boaz is an incredibly safe person. Two things he says and gives instructions. He says in verse 15, don't reproach her, don't despise her, don't look down on her. Don't belittle her is what that means. And then he says, don't rebuke her. A couple things. Boaz is a safe person. For Ruth, this was really reassuring. She was vulnerable. She was an unprotected class, an unprotected citizen in a foreign country. She's in Bethlehem. 
She's from Moab, ancient enemies of Israel. And so she would have been incredibly vulnerable and find safety with Boaz. Boaz protects her from verbal abuse. Uh, Boaz protects her from sexual harassment. She's a beautiful young lady. She's single. She's working in a field, um, a big field, with a lot of strong other single men who, by the way, hate the Moabites. They despise them. The Moabites uh, worshiped a demon god. They practiced children's sacrifices. And Ruth had a conversion moment where she says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, when they were coming back to Bethlehem, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. There's, there's change. There's life change. But Boaz sees that she's incredibly vulnerable. He protects her from sexual harassment. He protects her from physical exhaustion. He's going to provide for her, care for her. Good, safe relationships are ones where, according to author uh, Cloud and Townsend, author of Safe People, this is for everybody here, we need safe relationships in our marriages. You need, you need a safe ma- relationship in your marriage where you have the freedom to talk, to share, to be vulnerable. Kids need safe parents where there's safety and provision and protection. Churches need this in our small groups. Here's a few uh, characteristics of safe relationships. Safe relationships are where we can be present with one another, connecting on a deep level. Where a safe relationship is one that's not rushed and hurried all the time. Let me encourage you families is practice mealtimes together. Where you sit and talk and share with what's going on in your day. Where you actually care. How many of you guys can be home but you're not really home? You heard that before? I feel like you're home, but I don't know if you're really home. Um, Safe relationships are where you can be present with one another, connecting on a deeper level. That's what Boaz has created, an environment where she's going to work really hard, but hey, at mealtime, you come in and you connect, you have young ladies around you, uh, you, you, we can talk together at a deeper level. The relationship's not rushed, it's paced and protected. For Leslie and I, you know, for us is that we try to protect schedules and times and blocks and times where we can connect on a deeper level. One of the, my favorite things that we do right now, praise God for the school system, all the kids go to school, hallelujah, see you later. Uh, they get on that bus and I'm like, freedom! Um, on Fridays, that's what we do. So we go hike a lot of times on Fridays and we didn't have that before because we had little ones at home and and it would take some time off, and we'll go hike in the mountains. Uh, this last week, we were up at Cave Creek Regional Park, beautiful area. Got to pay six bucks to get in, but hey, you know, well, I was like, what? You got to pay six bucks? But we pay six bucks. Get in there. I'm like a dork, though, because I had my binoculars, and I'm like going on a six-mile hike, and I got these binoculars, like, bump, bump, bump. I was like, why do you got binoculars? I'm like a bird watcher, you know, like, okay, you guys aren't into hiking, I guess. Come on, man. That's beautiful outside. Uh, We receive grace and acceptance with no condemnation, giving us freedom from fear of rejection. On these big long walks that Leslie and I go on, sometimes she'll say something like this. Hey, I'm about to share something with you. I'm like, huh? Okay. I want to be vulnerable with you and share this with you about what struggle struggle that I'm going through in my life right now. And then she'll say this when she questions if I'm safe or not. She'll say something like this. But if I share this with you, you got to promise not to hold this over my head every time we come to another issue like this. And I'm like, all right, it's cool, baby. Grace, grace. 
You need a safe relationship. Condemnation is like, how dare you? You could never. You know, when you're in a covenant relationship of marriage, it's till death do you part, for better or for worse, there's sickness or health, and there's security there. In a safe relationship, it's, hey, you understand the concept of grace. I'm going to overlook that. I, I love you. Nothing's going to change that. Yes, there's sin and there's wrong, and you can repent, you can forgive, you can reconcile. Big concepts like that. Safe relationships where grace is, is present. Not guilt all the time. Where there's acceptance. No condemnation, giving us freedom from fear of rejection. Safe relationships are not just about grace, though. They're also about truth. It's a place where you can speak the truth. And when you speak the truth, it's not like, how dare you? No, like, hey, listen. If God's authority is the Scripture, it is the truth. The Bible says, uh, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Free. I want freedom for every relationship that I'm in. My motivation in confronting somebody in truth is not bondage, it's freedom. Amen? In your relationships, every relationship you get into, you do need a place where there's grace and acceptance. You can love the person, accept the person, but reject their behavior. And you can confront them and say, here's the truth of God's Word. Safe relationships are those where you, there's, you can listen to one another. Sometimes, um, for Leslie, what she'll say is, hey, what I'm about to say to you, I want you to hear me. No, let me correct that. I want you to really listen to what I'm about to say. Sometimes I do it too. When I'm, in a, when I'm talking to Leslie or confronting her, hey, I need you to know I love you no matter um, how you receive this or not, but I just need to share this with you. I do this with other people in the church all the time. Look, I, I love you and care for you, but I need to speak about the truth of God's word and it might not sit really well with the way you're living right now, but I need you to know that I love you anyway. But here's the truth of God's word. Safe relationships are where these exist. What we're going to see with Ruth is that she needs to finish her work in the field. She's going to go home and be with the safest person that she knows at this point. Boaz is safe, but she has a long, long history with Naomi. Uh, she was previously married um, for 10 years or so, and Naomi was her mother-in-law, so lots of relationship has developed and trust. So Ruth finishes her work, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's a lot of barley. She would have taken uh, the stalks and then beat out the grain, and the grain would have landed on the ground. And then what it says is, look what it says in, in verse 18, and she took it up and went into the city. So she takes this huge pile of grain, puts it into sacks, loads it on her shoulders, and she's hiking in. Ruth is not some prissy, little, fragile cheerleader. She is like, she is probably the poster child of CrossFit. She, LA Fitness, Mountainside Fitness, she's a buff chick, okay? If she had tickets, she'd sell them to the gun show. Boom. Okay. So she's a strong young lady. She's a very beautiful lady. Um, the Moabite women were very beautiful. But she's tough. She's strong. So she takes it up, and she goes to her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She's kind of like, holy smokes, that's a lot. It literally was um, a few months' worth of wages. So she had a lot of, of grain and resources. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. 
She'd had lunch with Boaz and the guys that day, and there's a bunch of young ladies inside kind of this, this, um, this place during mealtime. So here you have, ladies and gentlemen, the very first doggy bag in the Old Testament, the very first to-go box right here. How many of you guys, when you get your to-go box and you bring it home and you put it in the fridge, especially if you have family, you're like, who ate my to-go box? Yeah. We did that, yeah. The kids are raising their hand. They're like, me, help. You know, uh, it's funny though, what's really cool, um, we see Naomi move from bitterness to blessedness. And food has an effect. It's really cool. She eats, she's enjoying the food. And all of a sudden, she's not bitter anymore. It's like when you're hungry and you're angry and cranky, you're hangry. And now she's moving to the happiness. She's joyful. Look what happens in verse 19. And her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she's full. She's eaten. She's like, God's doing something really cool. Like you got God's favor. She goes on. So she told her mother-in-law and with whom she had worked and said, the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. What had happened was she's seeing God's kindness being bestowed upon herself, Naomi, and Ruth. They're the living. But the dead are Malon, Kilion, and Elimelech. Uh, the previous, her, her, um, the, the, her previous husband who passed away and her daughter-in-law's husband. And so she says, you know, like, not only have we been helped, but our name is being honored because God is providing. Um, I see a chain of blessing in their story. God blessed Boaz. He's a wealthy individual. He stands out and he stands up totally different than everybody else in Bethlehem. The Bible says in the last part of Judges, it says that these were dark times. Uh, There was no king in the land and everybody did what they wanted to do. Boaz actually believes the Bible, actually practices this idea of gleaning and tithing and giving, and he stands up and he stands different. He's a provider. And God's blessing his business because he's following the ways of God. God blessed Boaz, and then Boaz, what? He turns around and blesses Ruth, and then Ruth turns around and blesses Naomi. There's kind of a principle for us to understand. Um, God often uses believers to bless and build up other believers. How many of you have ever been really blessed and encouraged by another older believer or somebody in your life? You're like, man, without them, I don't know where I'd be. Um, You may be that person to bring blessing. God wants you to be that person of blessing. But the Bible says that we really need to do good to all people, but especially those people who belong to the family of God. Um, I look back on my life. We wouldn't be here today, ladies and gentlemen, if it weren't for people like my Sunday school teacher. When I was a kid, um, he taught me the Word of God, and he taught me how to, um, to know who Jesus was and the basic gospel of grace, ran away from it, rejected it for years and years. 18 years old, I turn around give my life to Jesus Christ and see the need for forgiveness. I see the the need for God's scripture and his truth in my life. I fall in love with Christ and his church. And I begin to live my life, to, to give my life to serve in that way. And my Sunday school teacher comes back and says, I want to support you. I've been praying for you your whole life. While you ran away from the church for 10, 15 years, I just wanted you to know I never gave up on you. I was praying for you. And he became one of our premier sponsors and 
donors for us in the early years. The church is five years old. We're moving and grooving. It's been great. But what you need to know, God used other believers to bless and to build up other believers. So here what we see is God's working. And you know what? Who's surprised by this answer to prayer is Naomi. Look what, look what she says. She's kind of surprised. Naomi said to Ruth, her, she said, this man, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Boaz is not just some ordinary person. Like God's hand is all up in this thing. This is crazy to see how he's working and navigating things. Boaz was a, what's called a kinsman redeemer. The redeemer is a near relative who's responsible for the economic well-being of a relative, and he comes into play especially when the relative is in distress and cannot get himself or herself out of a crisis. It's like a family member. It could be a distant family member, a relative that kind of steps in, and under this uh, paradigm that God had laid down, the principles is that the family sticks together and they pull together. What we're going to find out is there's somebody that's closer than Boaz, but Boaz is going to end up playing a real critical part in how God redeems, restores, and renews. So here's what we see. Naomi, remember Naomi's prayer earlier, she had a conversation with Ruth, and she said this, she said, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Ruth was incredibly kind and gracious and had shown honor as well to uh, her deceased husband, and also to Naomi. In verse 9, she says this kind of prayer for Ruth earlier on in chapter 1. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Her prayer request as a mother-in-law was that Ruth would find a godly man. And here she's like, oh my goodness, this could be the Lord's hand in all this. He's brought us to Boaz. It was a surprise. God answers prayers. He answers prayers in one of three different ways at any, any time in your life. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says not now. But God is always answering prayer. I remember when I was uh, dating um, a girl before I met Leslie, I was praying that God would seal the deal and I would marry this other girl. And I'm so glad God said no. Because I would have never met and been with my beautiful bride, Leslie. I was in neighborhood group the other day, and I kind of shared some of that story. And the guy goes, yeah, I think Garth Brooks said something like that. Some of life's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers. I'm like, well, Garth got that right. That's the part he did get right. Sometimes God says no. And for you, is it like, are you okay with that? Um, Naomi heard, she thought God was saying no, but... Really, God was just saying, not now. And there was a period of time when her prayers were not answered the way she wanted them to be answered. So the mother and the daughter have a little talk, verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite uh, said, Besides, he has said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. In other words, what the orders and the instructions were, was that Ruth was to go in, and he had already lectured his employees and said, you don't touch her, you don't hurt her, you let her follow behind you and pick up whatever's left over, and there'll be a source of protection. And he said, wherever you see my guys go, that's where you go. But by the way, too, he also said, I want you to stick close to these young ladies. 
And it's funny that the mother-in-law is the one who emphasizes this. Like, hey, you better be careful. Look what she says. Uh, Verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Remember, these are dark times in Bethlehem. Boaz is different. He runs his business different. Um, She would have been subject to ridicule, harassment. Um, They were different. He was an Israelite. She's a Moabite. He's rich. She's poor. He's tough. She's tender. He owns the field. She worked the fields. He's chosen, he's, he is a chosen race. She comes from a cursed race. And Naomi's like, yeah, yeah, I want you to develop this relationship. I want you to be careful. Good mother-in-law advice. What we're going to see is not always do parents have the best advice. Next week, you're going to see where the mother-in-law gives kind of some shady advice for her to accelerate the relationship. You'll have to come back next week to hear that. But here, this is some good advice. And she says in verse 23, so the narrator tells us, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. That would have been a long time, at least six to eight weeks. She's working in the field. She's going out there. She's representing the Mountainside Fitness poster child girl. She's strong. She's getting the grain. She's bringing it home. She's providing for the family. But then look what it says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What's really remarkable to me is that Ruth is a woman of noble character. Proverbs chapter 31, there's a long list of noble character. That happens over a lifetime, ladies, so you don't have to look at that and think, oh my goodness, my life doesn't match up. That's a lifetime of character development. Uh, But she is a woman of noble character. She doesn't ditch her mother-in-law when she, in a sense, hit the jackpot. Boaz is no better person to develop the relationship with. And she stays with her mother-in-law. Here's some advice for today's singles here. Uh, I've got a a young sister who's engaged. I have kids that are teenagers now, and they're starting to ask questions, or they're about to be teenagers just in a couple weeks. And they're asking, like, when can we date? When can we? And I'm like, okay, we need to consult the Bible here. You're making me nervous. Oh, my goodness. Some advice to singles, don't rush it. Don't move too fast emotionally or physically. What I love about the storyline with Ruth is that everything that we've heard about today in the historical narrative of Ruth and this Boaz, this gentleman, is that there's nothing super romantic about it. It's just a meal together. It's not like he's putting the moves on her. It's not like he hooked her up with an incredible meal and then pressed her to be physical with with him. Um, secondly, I encourage you work hard as a, as a, in life as a single and trust the Lord. If you're divorced, you're single. If, you've, or if you're widowed or a widower, you're single. If you've never been married, you're single. And I think what happens sometimes is in the church is that we act like the singles are a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And that's not at all the case. Let me remind you of how important your life is as a single person. Jesus Christ was single, right? Kind of an important figure in our faith. Um, Jesus' friends were single. Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha, Lazarus, the Apostle Paul. He was very vocal about the advantages of being single. 
Um, then you have Lydia in the New Testament. She's a leader in the church at Philippi as the church is moving forward. She's an incredible single young lady. And then you have in the Old Testament, there are people in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, was single. Jeremiah, the prophet, was single. Elijah was single. Like God uses singleness as an incredible season of your life, and it may be the duration of your life. But the, cool, the great news is, is listen to me, is that no person, even if you're married, will ever fill what's needed in your heart. The only person that can fill the depths of your heart is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says is that it is a relationship that he's building between himself, the bridegroom, and the, uh, the, the bridegroom, the church, and he is the groom. And so that maybe as a single, there's this longing for a relationship, and you're wondering, gosh, if I just had this spouse, that would fix all my problems. My encouragement to you is talk to some married people and see if that's true. When you're married, you're like, Lord, I have lots of problems. How do I fix all these? We tend to want what we don't have. Um, so she's single. She's going to work hard in life as a single. She's going to trust the Lord. Uh, third thing I want to encourage you is be in fellowship with other believers. You need other believers to build you up. You need other believers to encourage you and to help you. One of the worst things you can do uh, years ago, I served in a college ministry, and I'd see a godly guy and a godly gal, and they'd come together, and it was like sparks are flying, in, and they're so excited, and the next thing you know, they're like, hey, I can't wait, you know, I want to get, I'm going to get engaged to this person, and then I'm like, great, that's awesome, or, now you're still involved with your great godly male friends and female friends, and they're like, well, we don't have time anymore, and then all of a sudden, what they do is they drift apart from living according to God's word and to God's ways. Um, be in fellowship with other believers. Fourthly, I'd encourage you, get to know each other apart from a romantic relationship. As soon as you start getting romantic, it changes things. Heard a story recently about a guy who um, spent a lot of money on his girlfriend to go out, dinner, movie, big night. And then he was frustrated and angry because she didn't want to get physical after the evening. Let me encourage you, ladies, if anybody was ever pressing you like that or manipulating you like that, that's not a safe person to be with. Um, Boaz is safe. He allows time to develop. He allows the relationship to develop apart from romance. And so in a relationship, great relationships today, we need to realize to get to know the person apart from the romance. Um, Leslie, to me, is there a romance in our relationship? Absolutely. But you know what I experience and enjoy on, a, I would say, the majority of our friendship, our, our marriage together, is friendship. She's my friend. I, I, I told her the other day, we're out hiking, and I just said, hey, I love being with you. Like, I'm glad you like the things I like. We like to hike together. And even though she pokes fun at my nerdy little goggles on the birds, it's fine. In a relationship, one of the things that we tend to over-idolize is this romance side and not the friendship side. Let me tell you something. For great relationships, you need a great friend, amen? Somebody who's there for you, understands the concept of grace and acceptance, you live under the authority of God's word in everything. This is a big one. 
I want to illustrate this with you is the picture that I want you to remember in a relationship is that you want to live like this, is that you're under the authority of God. So in every area of your life, in your marriage or in your dating relationship or whatever, this is above you. You are not above the Scriptures. You are under the authority of Scripture. So what happens today's culture is relationships seek to be above the authority of Scripture and not under. So the sacredness of Scripture is being compromised so much today. We're um, going to be hosting a conference about the authority of God's Word for the very first time uh, in North Valley's history, bringing together three seminary presidents, Dallas, Phoenix, and Denver, three different pastors from the Valley. Let me tell you something. Um, Phoenix is ranked as one of the most biblically illiterate cities in the country. Therefore, most relationships are seeking to live above the Scriptures, not under the Scriptures. If you have marriage problems, it's probably because the Scripture is not at, uh, 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 you are not submitting to Scripture, you're not living under the Scriptures. God's designed it in such a way that we look to the authority as the final peace in all of our relationships. I mean, it just makes sense. If he is the designer, we follow his design. If he is the creator, then we live according to the way he's created things. So in all things, you know, for relationships is you just got to live under the authority of scripture. So for all of us, I want to encourage you, great relationships are ones that draw us closer to God. Any relationship. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Your relations, the best relationships are ones that are going to draw you closer to God, not draw you further away from God. If you sense in the relationship that you're in, any relationship, business relationship, marriage relationship, dating relationship, that individual is pulling you away from God, not a good relationship to develop. The Bible says that the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. If that individual pulls you away from that, that's not a good person to develop the relationship with. Great relationships are ones that not only draw us closer to God, great relationships are ones that draw us closer to others. The second commandment is to love your neighbor. If you're spending time with the in, another individual that helps you learn how to love people better, that's a great relationship to be in. Last one is uh, great relationships are ones that help us become who God created us to be. Um, when I met Leslie, it was really a pretty pivotal point in my life. I was in my senior year of college. I majored in business entrepreneurship, and I had in my mind I was going to start a business I had already started a couple little businesses from in high school, from landscaping companies to uh, different various projects and buying things, selling things. And, you know, um, I thought my brother was in the guiding industry of outdoor adventure and travel and stuff. So I thought I was going to get into something like that. And Leslie said, God has got such a, um, um, a, you have such a giftedness towards ministry why would you give up on ministry? And the truth was, I was tired, and I've been doing it a long time. As, as soon as I turned 18, I was invited in to start working and serving in the church. 
And so years had passed, and I just kind of like, man, I need a break. And Leslie spoke into my life at a point of almost burnout, ministry burnout. And she said, I think God's created you for ministry, wired and made you. uh, And you've talked about planning a church. What about that? Great relationships are ones that help us become who God has created us to be. You are made in the image of God, every single one of you. You're greatly loved and prized. The Bible says that he's been working on you before the foundations of the earth, that his love is set on you as a believer in Christ, and that he's working things together for your good. But guess what? You need other people in your life to help you see and become everything God has created you to be. You get discouraged. You get depressed. You can find yourself in a place, and what you need is a relationship that can help us become who God has created us to be. Um, We are made by God and for God's purposes and His plans. And sometimes we need other people to help us to do that. Here's what I want to encourage you to do, is to focus on being the right person in order to attract and develop the right kind of relationships. Focus on you. Focus on what God's doing in your life and becoming the man or the woman that God has called you to be. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and your word. I pray that it would, your timeless truths um, may be applied and uh, lived out even if uh, we're in troubled times. And so I pray for a sense of hope and a peace uh, to rest on everybody here today as they look towards your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.